the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Well, good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, broadcasting from my office here in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. Those of you who are from Santa Clara County, San Jose area, know where I'm talking about. If you're from further out, you probably have to look it up on a map because it's just uh, one of the neighborhoods here in San Jose. Uh, Nice neighborhood, too. I, I certainly like the fact that I moved my office here a couple months back. It's uh, closer to my children's school, it's closer to my home, and it's just a lot more convenient for a lot of things, including that uh, that big boy's toy store called Home Depot. Um, so, yes, I do spend time at Home Depot. I'm kind of a do-it-yourself uh, guy at home for certain projects. Other things, I let professionals take care of them. So, uh, for the last several weeks... I've uh, I've actually had some shows here that were rebroadcasts, and that was due to vacation and illness and other complications that came in. But I'm happy to say that I am uh, well now, probably operating at 98%, which is probably about the best we can hope for on, on a really, really good day. And I'm ready to move forward today with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, this is what I've been doing actually for a long time now is is going through and uh, and pulling out information from the uh, from uh, basically people who ask questions around the state and I find that a lot of times these questions uh, will have a general application to other people. So it's my hope that in passing on this information, uh, some of you out there will hear it and go, oh, that applies to me, and and you'll realize that maybe there's something that can be done about it. For others, it'll be just part of the ongoing education that I try to provide as an estate planning attorney. Uh, those who know me know that my original goal in life was to be a, a history teacher in high school, but uh, I ended up going into the practice of law instead. And now I uh, I teach people about estate planning and how to take care of their families uh, if they're incapacitated and then when they've passed away. So I'm still teaching today after, uh, let's see, over 38 years in the practice of law. Coming up uh, into this year, it'll be 39 years since I was admitted to the bar. 
And, and I love the fact that we call it a law practice because what that means is that in professions, we're always trying to improve how we do things, learn more, bring more resources in to help our clients or patients the best we can, which is why we never become completely, fully expert in anything. We just become more and more expert as we go forward. So let me go to some of the questions and comments um, around the state of California here. Uh, I will be taking calls on the air if you'd like to call in. Let me give you that number. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You could also email questions, if you'd like, to my email at radio, R-A-D-I-O, radio at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B.com. And I'll be checking that uh, throughout the show, too, to see if any questions come in through there. So the first question I'm going to deal with actually comes out of the East Bay. And uh, it's from a while ago. It looks like it's from about a year ago, but it still is an important question. This person wanted to know, can you sell a property if the deceased person promised a beneficiary they could stay there until the beneficiary died? So a beneficiary is promised to be able to stay at the property as long as the beneficiary lives. Can the trustee of the trust sell the property? Well, that's a simple question, but it's a pretty complicated answer. I would think the answer is yes, they can, but um, but that beneficiary, if they can prove that there was an agreement that they stay there and that could be proven to the satisfaction of a court, the court might impose what's called a constructive trust on property, meaning that the court would say, you know, yes, we're going to impose a trust on this property so this beneficiary can live there. The likelihood, though, is that that would not be enforceable unless there was some kind of consideration, like the beneficiary uh, had paid something for the privilege or had uh, given up everything else and maybe moved in to take care of to take care of the person who died, and the promise was you can live here as as long as you want because you did that. There's uh, in other words, there's no clear cut answer to that question, and it would have to be resolved by a court in order to be really effective at all. Now here's someone who says, uh, my daughter is in charge of my mom's estate, and she wants me to sign a reassessment exclusion for a transfer between parent and child. She won't tell me what it's for. What's that all about? Well, when I see something like that, that tells me that we're talking about real estate here in California, and we're talking about real estate that is being transferred from the mother's estate because the mother died to one or more children. Uh, There is an exclusion from reassessment of the real property taxes on property here in California when the transfer is from parents to children or children to parents. Um, for a personal resident, uh, residence, rather, the assessed value of the property can be at any level. It doesn't really matter. If we're not talking about someone's personal residence, then you cannot transfer more than $1 million of assessed value without triggering a reassessment. Now, assessed value is often significantly lower than the market value of property because of Proposition 13. 
Proposition 13 basically says that um, if you've owned a property for a long time, your assessed value can only really go up 2% a year from the time that you purchased the property. If you purchased it recently, your assessed value is whatever the fair market value is. If you've owned it a long time or you inherit it or buy it or it's given to you by a parent and you're the child, then you can keep the parent's low assessed value in that transfer. That can be a tremendously valuable asset, especially here in California, especially here in the Bay Area, where real property prices are among the highest in the entire country. And being able to hold on to mom or dad's property after they've died and live in it and keep the low property taxes may be the only way that many people can afford to actually live and own property in this valley. Um, I look at that for my own daughters, and unless they're wildly successful when they're older, they're probably not going to be able to afford to buy property in this valley without massive help from mom and dad. And I don't know that mom and dad will be able to provide massive help. That's that's kind of problematic. I don't know if my wife and I could buy our house today. Um, you know, we'd have to get together the down payment, and that's right now for most houses, that's several hundred thousand dollars down payment. So the reassessment exclusion from property taxes is a very important benefit, and it's something that often should be specifically planned for in an estate plan. Um, I do that kind of planning in my practice. I look very carefully at both real property taxes and also income taxes um, when a property is passed on, making sure it's passed on at the best income tax benefit for the next generation. So uh, first break, I'll talk with you after the break. This is Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. We're in the second segment of the show this afternoon, and uh, I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Here's one right here that uh, actually hits close to home because I'm doing a lot of what I'm about to talk about in my practice now, especially uh, for clients through attorneys in other parts of the state. This person says, we have an AB trust in place in California, and the surviving spouse wants to know, are there options to terminate the B trust so that all assets are placed into the surviving spouse's trust? Now, what an AB trust is, it's an older style trust used extensively in the 80s and 90s and even the 2000s. And it was used to do federal estate tax planning by having the share of the spouse that just died put into an irrevocable bypass trust or B trust. So it was still available to take care of the surviving spouse, but it would not be considered part of the taxable estate 
of the surviving spouse when the surviving spouse died later on. And uh, the purpose was to avoid very high federal estate taxation on estates. Now, with the federal estate tax exclusion amount being over $10 million per person dying, AB trusts are nearly, uh, they're not as popular anymore, and they're actually kind of um, very, very bad to have for many, many, probably most families that have them now because of the bad income tax consequences. I'm not going to go into the detail of that. Suffice it to say that the primary option, really the only option after the first spouse has died, is to go to court under probate code section 15403, um, possibly under section 15409, and request a modification of the trust to remove the requirement that the assets of the deceased spouse go into the B trust or the bypass trust. Um, I do that regularly. I've got actually two of those in process right now. They are for clients of attorneys, primarily in Southern California. Uh, I do them up here in Northern California because I have a way of doing it for them that is quick and efficient and uh, and gets it taken care of so they don't have to go through the probate court systems in the Southern California counties that tend to be very overcrowded, backed up, and uh, take months and months and months to go through the process, a process that I can often do in as little as a week up here. Uh, if you have a situation like that anywhere here in the Bay Area, Anywhere in the state of California, if if you are a surviving spouse uh, and you have this type of trust that says you have to divide things, maybe your spouse died recently, maybe your spouse died several years ago, maybe you've already created that be your bypass trust and you and your children, who are the ultimate beneficiaries, don't like that idea, you want to undo that to make things simpler for you and to gain an income tax advantage. Well, that's something that I can help with. Feel free to give me a call at 408-247-0444, or you can actually email me. I have a special email that you can ask about this. It's hegstat at lawbob.com. Excuse me, um, hegstat. Yes, Hextad at lawbob.com, H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D at lawbob, just like my radio at lawbob. You can ask me about that, or uh, th- that would be the best way to get started if you want to ask more about that, because I do that regularly for people, and I'm finding that they're extremely happy that they can get work like this done as quickly as I can get it done for them. So, moving on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Here's a question, and this is, I'm sure, something that a lot of people have thought of over time. Here here we have someone that has, uh, their mom is very ill. Mom gave the child a power of attorney that's been in place for a couple of years. Mom owes her home free and clear. Question, can the child with the power of attorney put mom's home in a trust so that it can avoid probate when mom passes away. In this case, the person's an only child and mom is not married. Well, the answer to the question comes down to 
What does the power of attorney say you can do? If it gives authority to establish a trust and transfer property into it, uh, typically if it does, it would um, make it so that whoever has that authority doesn't have the ability to leave themselves a greater share than they would normally receive. You, you can't do unusual trust planning with this. It has to pretty much be to whoever the person's heirs would be at that time. If the power of attorney gives that authority, then um, the answer is yes. A trust can be established. The child could transfer ownership of the property into the trust in order to avoid probate for mom. It would also have the additional benefit that if mom went into a nursing home and needed to apply for and receive Medi-Cal to pay for the cost of a nursing home, by having mom's house, which is an exempt asset for determining eligibility for Medi-Cal, by having it put into a living trust, it is not subject to any recovery right from the state of California for money spent for mom's care in the nursing home. It will pass on to the heirs, to the beneficiaries of that trust, and it's not subject to being forced to be sold in order to pay the state back. This is a change the legislature made a couple years back, and it was primarily aimed at families that uh, where the family home was literally the family home, meaning that all the family lived there. It might be the, the parent, it might be the children, even grandchildren all living in the home, and forcing them when all they really had was this home, forcing them to sell the home and pay the state back the money paid for mom or grandma or grandpa or dad, whoever was the owner of the home, would actually end up potentially putting entire families out on the street without a place to live because they had to sell. So that was a change in the law, but it applies to anybody that has their home in any kind of trust, um, including a revocable living trust. So that's an added benefit. If you're wondering about that, about you know what that benefit is, give me a call, 408-247-0444. Email me at radio at lawbob.com. I'll be happy to talk with you about that um, as something that might be of assistance to you. Now, I am taking calls today if you want to call in. It's 800-516-1220. We're coming up on the mid-show break with all those glorious commercials that uh, are necessary to keep shows like this on the air. So um, I will be coming back um, after the break. If you want to give me a call, 800-516-1220. And this is Attorney Bob Bergman. I will talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around California. If you want to call, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. If 
feel free to call if you have any questions. I'm happy to take them on the air. Uh, you can talk with my engineer, Marco, and he'll let me know if, uh, if you call in and you have a question. Now, here, um, here's a situation that does come up now and then. I, I, I see it now and then on the listservs for the attorney organizations I belong to. Uh, in this case, person says, my mom's 91. We don't know what or where she put her living trust book. Presumably that means a binder that had all of her estate planning documents. Um, we asked the company, could we get a copy? I assume that's the company that did her plan for her, probably not an attorney. They said they didn't have a copy on file. Property tax states that the house is in a trust. Where do we go from here? Well, I would maybe start first by asking, going back to the company, is saying, do you have an unexecuted copy of the trust of the parent? Not do you have a copy of the signed trust, but do you have a copy of what was created, like stored electronically that could be printed out? I ask that because that would at least tell people what did mom have in there, and uh, and that could be the basis for going to court under a section of the probate code called 17200, that's 17,200 of the probate code, where you could actually ask the court to recreate the lost trust document by putting forth this document that uh, was, is unsigned, but saying everybody who's named in there, everybody who would be an heir of this person, agrees that uh, this should be the trust document. And then the court actually has authority to issue an order declaring that that is the trust document for that person. Uh, theoretically, it would be possible for the family to get together with mom, put together um, a trust uh, a, a trust document that they all agree on and submit that to the court. But the first question I would ask this family is, does mom is mom still mentally competent to sign estate planning documents? If she is, then why not create a new trust? using just the name and establishment date of the old trust, which probably appears on the on the deed for mom's home, just create a new trust document, what we call an amendment and restatement, and replace everything that's missing with brand new stuff. I do that for people all the time, not people who have lost their estate plan, but people who have an older estate plan that was done maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and they realize it's time to redo it and get it updated so that it is more brought into the modern era. Um, so that would be the, the direct thing that they could do as long as mom's competent. If mom is no longer competent, then there is recourse to the courts to maybe fix that issue and, and get a trust in place so that they don't have to worry about uh, probate. Because if there's no trust and no way to determine it, they're going to have to take some action at some point to establish a trust, whether it's having mom do a new one or whether it is having the court declare that a trust document or trust information that's put forward in a petition is, in fact, the trust because everybody agrees on that. 
So here, um, okay, here's an interesting one because it raises raises a very specific uh, issue dealing with uh, real estate in the state of California and when real estate is considered to be transferred, when the title is considered to be transferred. Here it says, Mom filled out a grant deed listing her and her only surviving child as a joint tenant. The document was signed and notarized at the time, but was never properly recorded. Uh, This was done in 2006. Mom passed away before the document could be recorded in 2010. Is the document still valid even though mom is now deceased? She's the one who who was the grantor of this deed. If so, would it be submitted to the recorder with an affidavit of death of joint tenant? Will the property value be reassessed, or will it qualify under a parent-to-child property tax exclusion? So let's start first with whether or not it's valid at all. Um, And that would come down to, did mom deliver this deed to her child when she signed it. In other words, did mom sign it, have it notarized, and then hand it to or show it to her child? If so, that makes it a valid deed. Um, As a valid deed, this is because in California, for a transfer of real estate to be valid, the document transferring the real estate, the deed or whatever type of document it is, has to be delivered to the person receiving the property or recorded in the county recorder where the property is located. So we are what's called a delivery state. If you deliver the deed to the person you intend to have the property go to, that is legally a completed transfer of the property, even if the deed is not recorded right away, or in this case, even if it's recorded after the person died. Now, if someone was going to tr- to challenge that, they would challenge whether or not there was actually delivery of the deed because it was never recorded by anybody, by the mother or by the child. But assuming it was delivered, then yes, the deed should still be valid. Uh, it could be filed with the recorder. It could be filed with an at, then with an affidavit of death of joint tenant, which is a document that says, Mom died. Here's a death certificate proving she died. And that would clear the title into the name of the surviving child, who's the only, it looks like the only child. Because it's a parent to child transfer that's taking place, there would be no reassessment of the property taxes, which will be good news for this child. Uh, that is excluded from reassessment under Proposition 58, which is one of the propositions. Uh, expanding Proposition 13. And uh, so that is what uh, would happen in that situation. But I will tell you, if you're going to do transfers like this, don't stick them in a drawer. If you really intend to transfer the property, get it recorded so you don't end up with a situation of, of, is there a big question mark? The question mark might come if someone goes to sell this property, a title company might question why was this deed not recorded when mom was still alive? They might um, have an issue with clear title. That has nothing to do with whether it's legal or not. 
it has to do with whether a title company would actually insure the title and ensure that it's it's a correct transfer and that there's not somebody else out there that would have a contrary claim. So um, in any event, it would be a valid transfer. Selling the property, the title company might have an issue with it, but it shouldn't really be a problem. So here, uh, mom had a trust. Someone told me I need to get a tax ID number to get the money out of her investment accounts. I'm the successor trustee. Now, it says mom died. And uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Because mom has died, any investment accounts that she has owned by her trust can no longer use her Social Security number as the tax ID number because her Social Security number is no longer valid due to her passing away. So, yes, a tax ID number will need to be obtained, provided to whoever's holding the investment accounts, probably a new certification of the trust showing that the successor trustees now in charge. Now everything's reported under the trust tax ID, at least until such time as maybe the assets are sold and distributed out, in which case then it ends. There may be only one tax return for the trust if everything's done in the same tax year. But yes, a new tax ID will be necessary. Now here's a situation. Um, my sister had my father change his will to a trust to exclude me and my brother. Dad had been diagnosed with dementia in 2008. He had a will drawn up, which my sister took, had him sign a living trust in 2014 that excluded the rest of the family. Just received a copy of the trust 10 days ago. Well, I'll tell you, if Dad had a diagnosis of dementia in 2008, it's very likely that in 2014 he no longer had sufficient mental capacity to be signing estate planning documents of any kind. That being said, it's likely that the family members who were excluded are going to have to challenge that trust in court. If they were excluded, the only downside is it might cost them some money and they may lose. But the upside is if they win, they can have that trust voided and go back to Dad's original will. Well, we're coming up on the third break for the show today. If you'd like to give me a call, it's 800-516-1220. You can also email me your questions at radio at lawbob.com. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, uh, feel free. You can email me at radio at lawbob.com or rpb at lawbob.com. All of them will make it to me. So when we come back after the break, I'm going to wrap up the show today with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. Until then, this is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, Bob Bergman back. We have rounded the far turn and we're heading for home with our home stretch for segment today. I, I have a number I've looked ahead here. I actually peeked ahead at my notes here 
and I, I know what's coming up. So I'm going to uh, move forward here and uh, answer a few more of these questions and comments, and then we'll call it a day and start heading into the weekend. So here, um, these people, this question actually comes up for my clients a lot and people who come to see me to, to have their planning done. What's the best way to address beneficiaries for 401k or IRA accounts if you have a trust that was restated? Okay, we have three kids and a living trust that was just restated. I have my surviving spouse as the primary beneficiary. We'd like to know if the secondary beneficiary should be the trust or the kids in equal amount. Excellent question. There's no simple answer, though. Um, I generally approach it this way. If you have substantial assets in a 401k or I both, and you want them to pass eventually to your children, my recommendation would be that you have your spouse named as the primary beneficiary and the secondary beneficiary be what I call the retirement plan trust, a specially crafted trust that is intended to be the beneficiary of retirement monies so that it will be divided out according to what the trust says to the children but here's the really neat thing. Have the retirement monies held by the trust for their benefit and protected from their creditors, from divorcing spouses, uh, failed businesses, malpractice claims, injury claims against them, all those kinds of things. Uh, it's called the Retirement Plan Trust. And by doing it that way, we're not worried about if something happens to one of the children, what happens to that child's share? Uh, the trust will say what happens to that child's share and make it clear, you know, wherever you want it to go. If you're not going to do a trust like that, then you could always name the kids in equal shares, but then you still have the problem, what happens if a child predeceases you? What happens to their share? Um, if the kids are minor children, you definitely don't want to do that because that will trigger a guardianship for the share of the retirement plan, and the kids will get direct access when they reach age 18. I think most people would agree, including probably most 18-year-olds, that they shouldn't be handed access to a large sum of money at age 18. It's kind of a prescription for disaster to do that, and I heartily recommend against it to all of my clients. Um, so in the absence of that, naming the trust as the secondary beneficiary at least gets property to go into the trust so that if you have asset protection trust for the children after the fact, um, after you're both gone, it can at least have the monies pass into those trusts and be protected for them. It's also possible to have uh, retirement plan trusts that are part of a revocable living trust, but I generally don't recommend that uh, because you can easily get the two different parts of the trust mixed up after death and people start using provisions that apply to uh, one type of trust and, and use it for another type of trust and cause problems. I'm not going to explain everything I just said. Just trust me, it's a very complicated issue. Uh, but I do that kind of planning for people uh, who want to make sure that their retirement monies pass on protected for their children. 
a lot of people in the Bay Area, especially here in Santa Clara County, where I'm at, uh, have large amounts in their retirement plans, hundreds of thousands or even a million dollars or more, and somehow leaving how that gets distributed between the children to hoping that the children all survive the surviving spouse is not really planning. It's kind of what I call hoping, wishing, and praying. All of those things are good in and of themselves, but it's not a way to plan. This is why I call myself an estate planning attorney and not a living trust lawyer. So that would be my suggestion there is really have it looked at and figure out just what uh, what needs to be done and what would be the best way. And someone like me can actually help answer a question like that and even help people implement the planning to make sure that it's taken care of properly. Now, here's someone out of uh, Yucca Valley, California. Don't you love that, Yucca Valley? It just has a, it has a certain ring to it that I find very, very attractive. Uh, this person says, I want to protect my assets, house, and investments. Currently, I have a revocable living trust that was executed in 2007. In case I'm ever in a nursing home, will this be enough to protect my assets from being taken? Well, I will say it will be enough to protect the house. Uh, I talked about that earlier on the show. But if there's other investments, chances are very, very good that if you have too much investments, you're not going to qualify for Medi-Cal, which is what I think this person's talking about. However, there is planning that can be done ahead of time to qualify your assets so that they're protected from being counted or taken if you need Medi-Cal later on. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show now. It's uh, it's Bun Fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, my next seminar, to let you know, will be Saturday, June 1st. So that's a couple weeks from tomorrow. And until next week, I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope you were entertained and it was informational. And I'll be talking to you next week, same time. This is Attorney Bob Bergman signing off for today. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.